If you will, this morning, turn with me to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. If, uh, if you have trouble finding Malachi, maybe you've not, not, not visited that minor prophet in a while. If you'll turn to Matthew and just start turning back, uh, you'll actually turn right into Malachi. He's the last of the, of the twelve, as they're called. There's twelve minor prophets, just like there were twelve tribes of Israel, just like there are twelve disciples. And so there are twelve minor prophets. Malachi's the twelfth, and he's also the last. And as far as we can tell in the dating scheme of things, which we're not always sure about scholarly-wise, but as far as we can tell, Malachi is at least one of the last, if not the last, prophet of Israel until you get John the Baptist, which emerges in Matthew and the other Gospels. So turn with me, uh, if you would, to Malachi chapter 3. And I, and I must tell you at the beginning, I must warn you really, uh, unfortunately, that, that I, uh, I missed last Sunday and it was a great time at my dad's church. It was awesome celebration. 30 years of ministry. Beautiful, sir. Justin and I were there with all our family. And we don't really get to worship you know, together as a family and dad wasn't preaching, I wasn't preaching. But what that causes is sort of a backup. You know what I mean? Sort of a reservoir to build, and uh, unfortunately, you're gonna it's gonna spill out this morning. And so, I kind of, as as a preacher friend of mine uh, says, I feel like a mosquito at a nudist colony. I just don't know where to begin this morning. So, uh, we'll see where it ends up. All right. So, Malachi chapter three. We're gonna read a few verses here. Notice we're gonna start with verse six of chapter three. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. For I. The Lord do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not. Open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray to that Lord of hosts now. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. We pray now a blessing on Your Word. We also pray that You would speak to us. Just say that to Jesus right now. Speak to me. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Now you may be thinking right off the bat, oh, wow, I came the wrong Sunday. Tithes and contributions, here we go, yada, yada, right? Uh, But unfortunately, that's not where we're exactly going with this. There's a little more to it than that, and so I want to couch it in the context that we find it in this morning. You see, I grew up uh, attending middle school at Brookhaven. 
Now, if you don't know much about Decatur, Brookhaven is not like where the rich people go. Uh, Brookhaven's more or less where where uh, the lower class and middle class folks go, and that would have included my brother and I. And at this school, I learned many things, uh, being in that sort of rougher group of people, as as you can imagine, sort of the rougher part of town, at least according to some. And uh, and and so here I was, you know this. This white kid from Mississippi, and you know, I'm just trying to learn everything. And I went to a very small elementary school at Flint Elementary, uh, which is which is like old homeschool, you know, on, basically on steroids a little bit. And so uh, here, I, here I found myself with this big group of people, all these different wings, and you know, just tons of folks and and people that were were not like me. And, and so I learned quite a bit at Brookhaven, uh, how to gleek, how to close my eye and do this weird thing with my eye, how to talk like Donald Duck. But that's beside the point. That's not, all, that's not the only things I learned there. One other thing I learned is this. When people, when the guys there started fighting, when, uh, when, when you'd want to kind of show your masculinity when you were this yay tall, you know, um, and all the girls were bigger than you. You remember that in middle school? It's weird how that happens, you know. It's like, dang, I can't, I'm not even bigger than any of the girls, you know. And, uh, and, and so what they would do is they would start talking and arguing, and then it would escalate. And you, you, you may have seen this too. They get right in each other's face. You know what I'm talking about? And they get right up on each other, and they're like, they're like you know, say I won't. Anybody ever heard that before? Say I won't. Say I won't do that. You know, and, and the guy's like, you won't. And, and, then, and then normally nothing ever happens, right? They just keep saying, say I won't. And they just keep walking around and say, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on. And nothing really ever happens to that. Um, and I saw that a lot. I saw that a lot. Uh, could I submit to you that it's almost as if God is saying that to us this morning in Malachi? You say these things. But I tell you what, if you did this, if you obeyed me, God is basically saying, say I won't do it. Say I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until you don't even need any more. Say I won't do that. So I want to challenge you this morning. Say God won't do it because He will follow through. Amen. He absolutely will follow through on His punch of grace, if you will. He's not going to back down. And thanks be to God that He's not. Now, Malachi means messenger. Like His name actually means messenger. And have you ever noticed how many times in the Bible God sends messengers? In other words, if if something's going down in Israel, guess what God's going to do? He's going to send a prophet. Did you hear the call of Jeremiah just moments ago in our Scripture reading from Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, like, hey, I'm, I'm just a boy. You can't, you can't expect me to go. He says, don't say that you're just a boy. Because you're my boy. And I tell you right now, I'm going to put my word in you and you're going to tell the nations. Not just, you think you're just going to Israel. You're going to tell the nations. And guess what? We're still reading His prophecy this morning. 2016. Jeremiah would have lived in the, in the 6th century B.C. That's quite a long time for him to still be speaking to people God's word. I'm just a boy. No, you're my boy. The messenger also is a symbol of the messenger that's spoken of primarily in Isaiah. Isaiah is very messianic. A nice word that just means it's very Christ-centered. Do you know that the term 
Christ is Messiah. That's what it means. It just means Messiah. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, Savior, Messiah. Messenger. This is God's true messenger, not just with a message. Jesus does not just come with a message. He is the message. Himself. He is God. Himself. As I've said many times before, when my kids get scared, they don't want a text message. They don't want a letter. They don't want something to read on TV. They want me in the room. They want a person. And you know what? We, our greatest need as people, is a person. We don't need a word thrown at us, shaken at us. We don't need just a text message or an email or a handwritten note. We need a person. We need a person. And that person has come. Jesus has come. And you know what He did? He then commissioned us to be messengers. That's nuts! If you know me. If you know you. Why would He give us charge over that? To be His messenger. And we say, oh no, no, no. I'm just a boy. I'm just a girl. You're God's girl. You're God's boy. And He'll use you to reach the nations. Yes. That's the only way. God doesn't have second. He doesn't have B type plans. He's A. That's it. The first plan. It's always been the plan. His plan was always to be with us. And even when we turned away and messed up and tangled ourselves up in sin, He did everything necessary to untangle us, to reconcile us to Himself. And now He calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. You're a messenger. What's your message? What are you preaching in your life? Malachi, his situation was quite different from ours. He's a part of a nation, God's elect, God's special chosen people that he placed in the land. And he warned them before they ever went in. He said, guys, if you start sinning like the people in this land now are sinning, I'm going to boot you out as well. No respecter of persons here. Well, as you know, the story of Israel goes. They got in the land. They started sinning. They split the kingdom. I mean, at 1000 B.C., Israel was a powerhouse in the world. And yet, 25 years later or so, with Solomon's death, they become a split nation, a divided nation, a conquered nation. God allows His special people to be punished, to be judged, to be ripped from the land and never seen again the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, as you remember, also goes into exile by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, that pagan king. And God uses him as a tool. Just as He used the Israelites for a tool of judgment, now He's using a pagan king as a tool. And and the people of God, they can't believe it. They won't believe it. No, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't destroy His house. God wouldn't mess up His stuff that He instituted here in Jerusalem. And there's Nebuchadnezzar burning the temple to the ground. Literally took a bulldozer to it and wiped it clean. They're at a loss. 
They go into exile. They go to a foreign land. They go to an unclean land. And then God brings them back, doesn't He? And joy of joys, they come back to the land. But it's not joyful. Not in Malachi's time. You say, why? They, God restored them. He, he, he saved them. They made it through the exile. Nobody had ever come back from exile. Ever in the ancient world, historically speaking, no one came back from exile. You were made to intermarry and your name disappeared. But they did. But it wasn't a time of rejoicing. Do you remember when they actually built back the temple and stuff? They kind of build this rinky-dink temple. And the old men are crying as they're dedicating it. Because they remember the glory of the Solomonic temple. They're in the land, yes. But they have some huge questions. Who are we? They don't have a priesthood. They don't have an operating priesthood. They're, all their priests are unclean. They've been in a foreign land. They didn't even have a temple for a while to do any sacrifices. They're discombobulated as you can get. They're asking questions like, where are you, God? What's happening to our nation? Where are you in our time of distress? You ever have questions like that? You should. You pull your head from the sand. If not, start looking around. Where are you, God? What's going on? Is it even worth it to serve God? Because what I see is the pagans out there, the evildoers out there, the sinners are making it better than me. Where's your blessing for me? I'm trying to serve you over here. Where's my cut? God sends a messenger <laughs> to answer these questions. And the book of Malachi is one big answer to those questions. And I think it's for our time. I think it's for today. I think it's for you. Here's what God has to say. Try me. God says, look, you've tried everything else under the sun. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books because it's really a negative book. If you give me the option between good news first or bad news, I'm going to choose the bad news 100% of the time. This messes up the good news to do it second, right? I'm sort of a critical person as far as looking at things in general. It's just the way God made me. And so Ecclesiastes, I find at home. Because Ecclesiastes is very critical of our world. You wake up, you get dressed, you cook breakfast, you go to work, you work hard, you come home, spend some time with your family, get some other business done, you go to bed, you do it all over again. For what? For what? Just like stepping in an ant bed, everybody spreads in the morning, every single morning, lining all of our highways and byways. For what? You're just going to die. You're going to be buried just like a dog, Ecclesiastes says. What's the point? You think alcohol is going to satisfy you? Solomon says, no, I've had way better alcohol than you could ever afford for a longer period of time than you could ever afford. And it's not found at the end of a bottle. That's meaningless. Oh, you think it's sex? Nah. I definitely have more mother-in-laws than you do or ever want to or dream of having. Solomon, a thousand total. A thousand women total. 
maybe more than that, but we're told a thousand. He built houses for them. And these are not just somebody from off the street. You have to understand the way they made treaties in the ancient world was the king, who would have been seen as royal and divine, offered up his best daughter. Not the one missing a tooth or with a gimba, but instead the best one. And it even says that one of the prized ladies of the world at that time was the Egyptian princess. And he was given her. And he built her a house. He put her gods in Israel and allowed her to worship other gods and all of his wives to do the same. And the scripture tells us this. When Solomon was old, his heart was turned from God toward other gods because of his wives. No. Solomon says, look, I've had way more sexual pleasure and access and ability because people were clamoring to have a baby from him. Clamoring every single night, dancing before him more than likely. Multiple women. Solomon says, that's meaningless. You wake up the next day and you have to have more. Food? No. Success? Basically the king of the world. Productivity, position, people do what I say. It's meaningless. Meaningless. Chasing after the wind. You ever chased after the wind? I hope not. You probably get locked up in a mental institute. That's what he says it's worth. Everything under the sun, Solomon says, is meaningless. Why? Because down here is not the meaning of life. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not fortune. It's not whatever dream you have about this world. It's beyond this world. We were made for another world, not this fallen place. We were never meant to worship things, but a person. The messenger. God. Not the creature, but the Creator. Go deeper. Go higher. Go further. Don't just stop with drink. That's not enough. Not just with your earthly family that God has given you. They're not going to be enough. Your spouse is not going to be enough. Only God can satisfy the longing that you feel. So He sends His messenger. And he says, try me. You've already tried all this other stuff. I've already given you plenty of other messengers. You won't listen. Just try me. You keep doing this stuff for me, hoping that it will impress me. It won't. What can you do for God that would impress Him? Amen. The only thing is to give, you, give Him your heart. He wants you. It's crazy. <laughs> If you're around me enough, you won't want me. But Jessica does. It's nuts. My kids do. Blakely, she may not know any better right now, but she loves me. She likes to just look at me and smile. You know what? God is looking upon us, the Scripture says, smiling down on us. God is not weariness. God is not anger. God gets weary, 
of our shenanigans, of our failures. God gets angry at sin, but He is not those things. He is love. He gets angry because what we do hurts us. It hurts His children. When I see my sons doing something stupid, it makes me angry. It really does. Like, I mean, I have to control it. I'm just going to... A little confession time real quick. It... I see somebody stand up on their bike doing something crazy. I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to break that beautiful face you have. And they have. Thankfully, we have some doctors and stuff. And even in our family, we have to have a doctor because of this reason. (laughs) Who has sewn up one of my children, yes. God gets angry because it hurts us. Sin hurts us. It hurts others. But you don't have to remain under the judgment of God. Jesus, we just sang it, has paid it all. Have you not heard the good news? You can't be good enough. You can't be gifted enough. And Jesus paid it all. We just have to look to Him. Just step out into the reign of His grace. We complain because we're not getting wet because we're sitting under the things that we've made. Just step out. God says, try me. You tried everything else. Try me. It's almost embarrassing the way God acts here in Malachi and elsewhere in the Scriptures. It's almost like He's begging us to give Him a chance. Just give me a chance. Almost like a relationship gone bad and you're trying to just grab onto the last strings as that person drives away. God is begging us. And it's just embarrassing that we would have a God that would stoop to that level. Has He no pride? No, He doesn't. He's not like the other gods. Islam has a God that would never stoop for us. And Jesus gets on His knees for His bumbling disciples and washes their... God Himself washes their feet. God stoops down to become one of us. To endure headaches, literally. Relationships. All the pains that we feel as humans. Took it on. He stooped to that level. But he didn't stop there. God, God of the universe, the Creator Himself, allowed people to spit on Him, to strip Him naked. To slap Him and play games with Him. God. And then to kill Him. With false accusations. 
He would stoop to that level for you, for me, for us. And this morning, that same Jesus who is risen from the dead sits at the Father's right hand in a position of power praying for us. By name, He's praying for you. That's why all I could do a moment ago was just get as low as I could. I don't know what else to do sometimes. I'm not a shouter and a runner. I just, I'm not, I just have to get down. The weight. The weight that He's put on my heart this morning even has been heavy to bear until now. Because I want you to know that He loves you and He wants you to try Him. Just try. You've tried everything else under the sun. Try me, God says. And then He says this. Then He says this. Test me. We say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop the train. You're not supposed to test God. Deuteronomy. Scripture clearly says, do not test God. So we mean, test me. Surely there is a, an error here, right? In Malachi, we can throw the Bible out because there's an error, contradiction. This is said all the time. I'm kind of joshing about with it. There's no error. Test me. Don't test me. What does God mean? Is there something weird going on in the Hebrew? Not really. I think it can best be illustrated at the pool. So what? God's at the pool? Well, maybe not God, but I am. Oftentimes with my children, right? And I say to them, stop running. You're going to kill yourself. Stop diving into, the, into a step. Who would do that? I'm telling you, the people that I deal with on a daily basis, it's, it's nuts. I say, don't test me. If I say, do that, don't, don't do that again, or else we're going home. Don't test me on that. You're not, you don't want to do that. I'm going to follow through. But then there's Ty. He's on the edge. I'm in the pool. And I say, son, come here. This will be fun. Jump to daddy. He's thinking, it's going to be fun. I've already sucked some of that water down, almost thrown up. That's not going to be fun at all to jump in there. I said, no, no, but test daddy and see if I won't catch you. Don't test me. Test me. One testing is from presumption and disobedience. We never test God in that way. You better do this for me. Look, I've had children say that to me, and I wanted to rise up on them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ty come, I mean, Ty's like this tall, you know. Talks like a sweet angel, and he's going to tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Who are you is what I want to say. But you know what? (laughs) Is that the way Jesus comes? Does He treat people like idiots? (laughs) He could have. He knew everything. We use every little thing to try to edge our way in first. Try to make ourselves look better. Try to make myself look better. When are you going to let that go? It's not like God. Try to show yours to get your name out there. 
It's not what Jesus did. He didn't look down on people except for in love. And He says to us, Sweetie, come here. Jump. You see, the right way to test God is when you love Him, not selfishly, not presumption, but love. And not disobedience, but from obedience. God tells us here, test me and see if I don't open my window and pour out on you more than you could ever contain. Test me. Let me put it in Brookhaven terms. Say I won't. God says, say I won't in your marriage. Say I won't heal that marriage. Say I won't help you raise your children in the nurture of Christ. Doesn't matter that you've messed up before. Doesn't matter what they've seen before. There's redemption in Jesus Christ. There's always forgiveness. There's always healing. Say I won't, God says. Test me and see if I won't do it. He's telling us to jump. Now it's our turn to be obedient. Now it's our turn to say yes to Him. Now it's our turn to jump into His loving arms. Maybe you've been trying to do it yourself for years and years and years. Stop! It's never going to work. It's a dead end. It's not about your righteousness. It's not about the religion of me. If the world revolves around you, then something is wrong. The center is Jesus Christ, not you. And so this morning, what is your posture toward God? If we could see ourselves, you've seen people's posture before, right? When you tell them something, get defensive. They get smart with you. They might get just straight up angry with you. What's your posture toward God right now? We have questions. We have doubts. God sends a messenger. He's already sent many messengers. He sent His Son. And now He sends me this morning to tell you this message. And I'm telling you, don't reject it. Amen. Now, I'm not going to play some kind of game with you, it's because I love you that I say don't reject it. It's a word for you. I have no doubt in my mind. It's a word for me. You say, well, I don't know what to do. It's very simple. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. Cry out to God. Tell Him you don't know what to do. Tell him you're in over your head. He's going to say, oh, I know. I've been waiting for you to call. You won't look up. So here's a call this morning. Lord, speak to me. Don't start looking around. Don't start thinking about somebody else. Lord, speak to me. See if He won't. See if He won't do it.
I've been deep sea fishing before, and we were told to drop the line like 100 feet. Hit the bottom, come up. I'm like, man, what in the world? Whoa, something's on there. Drop a line this morning to God. Right here. Right here. You say, well, why can't I do it in my seat? Because sometimes you need to get up. And you need to go down. And you need to bow your body. Not just trying to play some spiritual thing, but your whole body before God. And say, Lord, speak to me. I want to be holy. I want to be your boy, your girl. See if he won't speak back. See if you won't feel a tug on the heart strings of your life. Test him. He's inviting us to do that this morning. And when you make that step toward him, you'll find that he's faithful. He will do it. Amen.